in Los Angeles, New York City, and Chicago, which are the three biggest cities in the U.S., they have all passed laws that will allow people to take sick days in order to care for anyone who they consider family, regardless of whether or not they're actually related. And Arizona State and Rhode Island have also passed similar laws, which seems like a pretty good sign. I mean, it's such a very specific sliver of... Uh, of what like special rights or special privilege to be granted of just being able to caretake, yeah. but it's not nothing for sure. It's a step and this in the idea, right direction, at least. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Welcome to the Multi Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're talking about chosen families. What is the cultural significance of the term chosen family, and why is it so important to those who've implemented it in their communities? Today, we're going to celebrate the origins of chosen families, the communities that use the term today, and where we are going as a people in terms of recognizing chosen families in a legal context, and some things to think about when creating either a chosen family or some other sort of intentional relationship community of your own. Jace, where are we going as a people? As Boy, a whole people to the general. moon. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently to Mars, according to the world's richest person now. I don't know um, if the moon right. or Mars sounds like a great improvement, but... Right. Yeah, I, it, I don't know. There's still humans once we get there, so I'm not sure mm. that that'll change very much. Uh, well. We don't, we don't got to diss on humans, necessarily. Yeah, <laughs> All just right. some humans. All right. Fine. Uh, so I really had a fun time learning about chosen families, kind of the origin, the etymology of it all, because it was a term to me that was rather amorphous. And now it's like got some context behind it, some understanding of like where it came from and now sort of where it's going. Uh, so I really appreciate that and just how much the term family and like what it means to be a family has really changed over time. Because I think that when so for so often or for for so long, when we thought of family, we thought of like a wife and a husband and 2.5 kids and a white picket fence. And that was what a family is. And now, you know, I think of like the two of you in a lot of ways as family. I think of a lot of my friends as family. And there is even further that we'll talk about, like where that goes today um, in terms of like what chosen families really are. So anyway, I, I had fun this week learning all about this. Yeah, I'm curious for the two of you. Um, growing up, your concept of family, as far as blood related family, like, did you come from families where there was a very strong sense of family loyalty? Like, oh, yeah, this person's related by blood. So we have to do this for family or mm. or didn't give no craps. Yeah, I mean, like no, no way. Like I and and I was I was shocked when I went to college and had a a boyfriend who was like, you know, I would die for like every single person in my family, and like blood is thicker than water, like all of this stuff, and was really intensely passionate about family. And I was like, yeah, like it's me and my mom, cool. And like because my I never really knew my father, and so that side of my family, I'm not at all a part of in any way and then my my blood family on my mother's side is fairly fractured and not as like we don't see each other that much and and mm -hmm. i care about the people that are in my family but it's not like this really intense strong we we get together and have reunions and all this stuff all the time yeah i have a clarifying question for you about this boyfriend sure. in college uh was did he mean family like in terms of all his cousins and aunts and uncles and nieces and nephews and all that sort of thing not just like his met, immediate mom and dad and 
brothers and sisters. I think immediate family was really who he was talking about. That like they were the okay. most important people in his life, like bar none. And mm. I also didn't grow up with a big family, and so I think that's the difference. Like Jace, you have brothers and sisters and multiple dads and all of this stuff, <laughs> and like, and uh-huh. I just don't. You know, it was really like me and my mom. It was it was me and my grandmother and my mom, and then just me and my mom, and that was it. And so Jace. that's the family that I think of. Jace just has a family of dads. Yeah, he has all the dads. dads. I feel like y'all have painted this very inaccurate picture (laughs) of my dads and my relationships. It's not totally inaccurate. Oh, gosh. Yeah. What about you, Jace? So, it is an interesting question, and it's... Oh, boy. I guess there's so many levels to it. So, first of all, I think in my family growing up, we were very... Like, growing up, we were very loose with who we would use sort of familial terms for like mm. we had uh, some my parents had some family friends when I was a kid who we referred to as mama and papa you know it was like mama Dave hmm. or I'm sorry mom not mama Dave papa Dave <laughs> and you yeah. know, mama Jane or whatever right like they that was kind of the name that us kids used to refer to them and their kid used to refer to my parents so you're saying you had even more dads in the past apparently <laughs> I guess so yeah <laughs> Uh, and he's accumulated them over time though. <laughs> and like we had people who were referred to as aunt and uncle and cousin who are not actually blood related to us at all, wow. but, but were sort of, uh, had been kind of taken under the wing of my grandparents years ago. And so kind of remained part of our family. And I didn't sort of realize till later, till I was a little older that these people weren't actually blood related to me or, or legally related to me in any way, not even just blood, but kind of this bio legal way that the government at least talks about family in our country. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So for me, I think it was kind of more of this blurred line of who counted as that and who didn't rather than this very strong, like this is my blood relative and therefore they're more important than someone else, I guess. Hmm. Interesting. How about you, Dedeker? I guess, I mean, I come from a family where there's not a lot of sentimentality and not a lot of tradition, at least on my mom's side, which was the side of the family I spent more time with growing up. And um, quick to cut people out of the family, also. (laughs) A long history of that, of kind of like, you pissed me off or you betrayed me. Okay, you're not family anymore, essentially. Mm. And so I think what that resulted in was kind of a weird sense of hyper loyalty with material goods specifically it's like material resources like cars or equipment if you want to get rid of it you better give it to a family member like that that's that's (laughs) a whole thing that i have years of baggage around that Uh i can unpack on a different episode but at the same time i don't think that i grew up with a strong sense of family identity like for instance i'll see people post on social media or on the holidays where they're like oh it's a jones family thanksgiving wow we're all here and i'm just like that would never happen in my family like Mm. they're not a strong that i guess it's that identity i suppose so i don't know where that leaves me yeah, I, I I mean, we'll talk a little bit about, like, legality with families yeah. um, a little bit later in the episode, but I, I realized, like, I really didn't want to have to live with my father and his family if my mother, if something happened to my mother. Mm. And so she changed it so that my godparents became um, my best friend James's parents, and so legally I was tied to him and so, to them yeah. As in you would go to your godparents first instead of going to your dad. Exactly. And and that was great for me because I so felt that they were part of my family more than my father's side. Right. Which is great. So Yeah. Do that for your kids if no. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) But maybe. Anyways, all right, let's get into this. So the etymology of the term chosen family comes from this book from 1991, um, which is Kath Weston's Families We Choose, Lesbians, Gays, Kinship. Mm. Um, So we're going to talk about a study a little bit that I found that's this pretty large study that was done um, last year, I think, and it's from the International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health, and it's called We Just Take Care of Each Other, Navigating Chosen Family in the Context of Health, Illness, and the Mutual Provision of Care Amongst Queer and Transgender Youth, Young Adults. So they say in there in the opening that chosen family is a term employed within queer and transgender communities to describe family groups constructed by choice rather than by biological or legal bio legal ties. 
Chosen Family implies an alternative formulation that subverts, rejects, or overrides biolegal classifications assumed to be defined within an American paradigm of kinship. The provenance of the term chosen family in social science discord Discourse derives from anthropologists Kath Weston's Families We Choose, Lesbians, Gays, and Kinship. I see. So, so that's like the first time we see that sp- the specific term yes. showing up in print anyway, even though the practice is very, very old. Yeah, it definitely right. originated more in like the 70s and 80s, and it came out of the AIDS movement in a lot of ways because LGBTQ people who had AIDS and were dying and needed care and whose parents or, you know, families of origin had disowned them or, you know, mm-hmm. were not in their lives anymore. They turned instead to their chosen families, to their friends, to their loved ones that weren't necessarily biologically related to them. And they offered end of life care for these people. So that I think is is very striking that that we had origins coming out of the AIDS movement and the necessity of chosen family from that. Yeah, and I think that's a, just a good thing to always remember about any kind of terms for describing humans and the things that we do. It reminds me, so Emily and I have been studying music theory together recently, and we were yeah. just talking this last week about how it's important to remember that music came first and then music theory was kind of created as a way to explain why music works the way it does. And that, that the theory came after the music instead of like people came up with a theory and then started making music with it. And it's the same thing here, same thing with terms like polyamory, that this is something that in some form has been done for potentially thousands of years, even though the term only came around about this same time in the early 90s. Uh, so it's just kind of good thing to keep in mind that uh, just because the term started in a certain place or time doesn't mean that those people have the monopoly on what it means or or how it's done, I guess. And keeping that in mind about terminology, it is still useful, though, to compare this to other terms for similar concepts. So in terms of chosen family, we also have things like a polycule and co-parenting relationships and intentional communities And these things are all similar in a certain way that they're about creating a sort of group relationship between people that's not following necessarily the legally recognized ways that that's done. And, but it's important to note though, that within all of these terms, really chosen family included, there is a big range and these all kind of come from different origins in terms of how we talk about them. So I think that all of these concepts can learn a lot from each other and be informed by each other, even though they're not necessarily describing the same thing, right? Like if you think about a polycule, for example, for some people that might be this very close knit group of people who are in relationships or metamors and who maybe live together or close to each other and maybe raise kids together and share finances. It could be super close, Or it could be more of a looser network of people connected through relationships. Similarly, intentional communities could be something where it's like this group of people, we are buying this plot of land to live off the grid and all of our finances and all of our resources will all be pulled together. We'll raise our kids as a community. We'll, you know, be kind of the the primary sort of community and family for each other. Or an intentional community could also be an an apartment building in New York for only vegans, right? It could be a very loosely, like we all share some (laughs) philosophical ideal. And so that's why we call ourselves an intentional community. So it can really, really vary in terms of what these things mean. Yeah. So Emily touched on the AIDS crisis in the 80s and 90s. And I think that's an interesting example because it does highlight the fact that I think especially in queer history and within queer communities, you know, chosen families have been born out of just necessity. You know, again, even to this day, it's still often the case that queer people are rejected or disowned by their biological family members. And therefore, you have no choice but to find meaningful relationships outside of your family of origin, which 
is a sad circumstance, uh, but sometimes I think can lead to then you get to choose the people in your life who are going to support you and hold you in a way that maybe your biological family doesn't, Um, as well as doing things like providing monetary support or caretaking responsibilities, providing housing support, emotional support when it's needed. Yeah, absolutely. And that also shows up with uh, queer and transgender youth. Uh, According to 2016 Washington Post article, 40% of homeless youth identify as queer. And for that demographic in particular, being the intersection of queer and homeless, uh, the chosen family is extremely important because often that's your only resource you really have. Uh, Similarly, youth in the foster care system, that can also apply struck by that that how much this term is used in the foster care system as well which Mm -hmm. may again makes a lot of sense if if you don't have like a strong structure in your home life and if you're bouncing around multiple foster care systems like to really cultivate that chosen family within the people that you meet through that can be vital yeah and a third of people in the lgbtq community identify as people of color So immigrants and people of color are statistically more likely to live with extended family members or other additional people like chosen family in order to, um, you know, form a household together much more so than white cisgender heterosexual people. And that's also just because LGBTQ and people of color, yeah, POC communities uh, do experience disproportionate rates of poverty. And so one way to kind of combat that poverty is to have many members in a household together, not just have, you know, one person in a household or two people in a household, but rather multiple people living together to bring down the cost of living. So a 2016 report published in the Journal of Pediatric Clinics of North America uh, cited research that said that they found that one third of gay, lesbian and bisexual youth experienced parental rejection due to their sexual orientation. And a 2013 Pew Research Center survey found that 35% of LGBTQ adults are parents comprised uh, compared with 74% of adults in the general public. So that is less generally. So 35% compared with 74%. But that also means, you know, a lot of times if you both have the same genitals it's going to be harder to have a kid and so sometimes you need to create a chosen family in order to you know have kids together not only that surrogates yeah not only that but there's a lot more part of a chosen family a lot more barriers to having kids in terms of being able to adopt or have a surrogate or something that there's a lot of um a lot of financial and also legal barriers to even allow that so yeah exactly yeah uh, this so so to kind of end out this section, kind of talking about the the sort of phenomenon. I guess there was this funny quote from Wikipedia on the definition of how families have changed over time, and this is a quote within a quote from the late German sociologist Ulrich Beck, who observed how in contemporary society, quote, marriage can be subtracted from sexuality. And that, in turn, from parenthood, parenthood can be multiplied by divorce, and the whole thing can be divided by living together or apart, and raised to a higher power by the possibility of multiple residences, and the ever-present potentiality of taking back decisions. Essentially, the takeaway being how, when, when I think a lot of social programs and laws and people speaking very generally about family, they tend to think of it as being one fairly one uniform thing. thing with maybe a few exceptions when in reality it it is incredibly complicated and most likely is that there's these factors going on and that it doesn't really serve us to ignore it and pretend that those things aren't adding levels of complexity to it. I feel like Ulrich is kind of throwing some shade at the end here with his talking about the ever-present potentiality of taking back decisions. I'm like, come on, man. We don't, like, <laughs> what, people just can, the fact people that can people change can their minds about it. Yes, exactly. Sure. Like, yeah. That's interesting That's that you fine. read this sort of negative sentiment in that. I didn't necessarily... Not until the very end. Okay. Not okay. until huh. it suddenly became this dig on, like, I don't know, responsibility or something like that, but maybe I was just expecting that. Well, we should write Ulrich. a letter to Ulrich and be like, hey, yeah, what kind so... of family do you have, Ulrich? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if... 
What decisions have you taken back? No, he's not the late German sociologist. <laughs> oh, so he, oh, dang. He's, okay. He is no longer with us. But we'll yeah. hold a seance. Well, yes. yes there you go. <laughs> but ultimately, I mean, what he's getting at, and I think what we're getting at here is that, as we said before, the definition of family has really changed over time. And even if you do have like a cis white, you know, two people who have kids together, they could be divorced, they could marry someone else, bring other kids into the situation. Jace, I mean, again, you have multiple dads, and this is because you have your biological dad, but also your stepdad, and then also your step-stepdad. So, <laughs> I don't think that's how those terms work. I don't but, know how it works. Sure. Stepdad once removed. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. No, we've yeah, been I, through this before. Yeah. It's like stepdad 1.0 and stepdad 2.0, and then dad. Right. And also mom and stepmom. So there's several parental figures in this family. So many parents. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You're not getting away with anything. No, you're definitely not. Well, I think we've we've also touched on this in previous episodes where, where we've talked about relationship anarchy, just to point out the fact that, yes, definition of family has changed over time. Uh, but we don't want anyone to think that like the family started as this like nuclear family unit, and that's what's changed over time. That's it's, like, a good point. Even getting to nuclear family unit was a big change from where things were historically. Yeah, absolutely. I also it was making me think. So Dedeker and I just recently watched the Wolf Hall series, which was a BBC series which from a few years all ago. All six of you out there who know what we're talking about, I have no idea you. what that is. God bless the, you. The only important thing to know is that it takes place during the Tudor era. So what's that? Fifteen hundreds, fifteen thirties, fifteen thirties. When like Henry VIII was happening. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. When yeah, he was during- happening. He's happening. Yes. The event that was Henry VIII was happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, so what really struck me in that, though, is that their, you know, family amongst the royalty is a big deal, right? Of who are you related to both legally through marriage and then also biologically, you know, because it has to do with your potential status in life. Mm-hmm. But then also, even amongst the peoples who are not that, there's still kind of this sense of family was based on your name. And so there's there's a scene where uh, Cromwell, the main character, one of his wards, who's, you know, a boy who he's sort of taken in and is training alongside his son and, you know, teaching him and bringing him up, asks to take his name, asks to take Cromwell's name. And that's kind of a big deal. And it's interesting that, again, like the ways that name and family and what we think of has evolved over time even just in our Western society. And that's not even including the way that it's been approached in so many different ways in the rest of the world just really has changed and evolved over time and continues to. Absolutely. Well, this so, episode brought to you by Wolf Hall, PBS masterpiece. Go check it out now. Actually, it's not. I wish we could get that sponsorship from a show that debuted three years ago. That'd be great. Oh, what wow. a weird, what a weird sponsorship that would be. Yeah, I know. That would but be very cool. We're going to take a quick break. And in the second half of this episode, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, particularly famous and well-known communities that have grown out of the creation of chosen families, as well as uh, some things to consider if you are also drawn to this concept of chosen family and want that to be a part of your life. But first, we'll talk about our sponsors and the best ways that you can support this show so that we can keep making it free for everybody. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. For a long time now, we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their sites specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store, and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just 
keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping code M-U-L-T-I. So ball culture, this thing that I knew nothing about before I read up about this, it emerged in Harlem in the 1970s and 80s as a response to the rejection of queer trans POC by heterosexual society and the rejection of Black and Latinx folks by the white queer community. So basically, it's like a voguing ball culture that developed in New York City And they had families, they had the chosen families, but they were also known as like these houses. And they were named often after famous fashion brands. Like there was the House of Saint Laurent and the House of La Beja and like a bunch of stuff like that. And so Hmm. it was so cool and really awesome. And I want to like delve deeper into it. Um, But something that's kind of a distinction here is that they would often have a mother and or a father who functioned as the parent of their children, like the community children. And those chosen families are especially close-knit and exclusive. They consider it an honor and a privilege to be asked to be part of the family. Other chosen families are more inclusive and not quite as bougie. This comes from uh, just the chosen family that Pride built. It was an article yeah, on this gentleman's website that I found that kind of was talking about this sort of community that came out of the 1970s and 80s. Yeah, so I'll just come out and say I found out right before recording that neither Jace or Emily has actually watched the documentary Paris is Burning, which is know, all terrible, about terrible, the subject. Terrible. If you're out there and you haven't seen Paris is Burning, definitely go and watch it. It, it came out in 1990. It's literally about the ball culture scene. It really breaks down, you know, this particular kind of chosen family and house culture. Uh, and it was just put into the Library of Congress just in 2016. So quite recently. Um, yeah, I, I think that it's a really, really wonderful example of both, you know, kind of chosen family as a result of necessity and also chosen family, like really providing a lot of the stuff that like biological family just isn't there for. And the the wider, more mainstream community not even being there for, you know, that it's like when you're, um, you know, a subset of a subset of a marginalized community, and even the larger marginalized community is rejecting you, it creates even more of a need to kind of cling together and creating this kind of chosen family structure. Also, fun fact, um, much of our slang that we use today often kind of trickles down or up, depending on which direction you want to call it, trickles over from uh, Black and Latino uh, queer communities, queer trans communities, a lot from the ball scene as well, like throwing shade or mm. realness or queen. It's Vogue. like all of that came directly from those communities as well. Mm. Wow. That's really cool. Did they discuss that in the documentary? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like, you know, the documentary is from the 90s. And so some of the like yeah. older slang is present. But yeah, definitely highly recommend. Um, but I think Can't it's a really good it. example yeah, of we'll kind of more famous. Night. Yeah, more famous communities that came out of this kind of chosen family that was created by necessity. Yeah, so essentially there are these more like bougie, voguing communities and then less um, specific communities that don't like have the names attached to it and that they're not, but they are like still very inclusive as well. That, that, so that's also why Madonna exist. That's literally where Madonna's Vogue came from. Yeah. Was I, from that makes this, sense. And, you know, people got pissed off at her for kind of appropriating that makes a lot of sense as well yep anyway go madonna uh so of course there's a lot of examples of communities uh and especially marginalized communities that have relied on these chosen family structures including you know bds certain bdsm communities sex positive communities immigrant communities of course communities of color poor communities we talked about foster children like so so many places where um 
I'm going to use this term, like essentially misfits. I think a lot of people take pride in that term, but it's like when you're in a culture that wants to label you as some kind of misfit or other than, you have to find ways to rely on the the structure and get the support that like your mainstream community is not really offering you. So all that said, maybe you're out there thinking about your own current chosen family, or you're thinking about creating a community of your own, or maybe you're thinking about cohabiting with your polycule, or maybe rearing children with partners or your friends or roommates or stuff like that. So we want to talk a little bit about specific challenges that chosen families have faced historically, are currently facing, and just how that has changed over time. So I want to go back to the study that we referenced at the beginning of the episode. They had like an interesting point to talk about uh, it, discussing these communities and how they've kind of changed over time and why it's important to recognize that change. So uh, Nicolazo et al., which is uh, someone that they referenced in this study, he noted that queer individuals who negotiate kinship networks under varying degrees of adversity often form counter-hegemonic cultures of care. In these informal networks, care and support flows freely without the regulation of rigid legal, biological, or social ties. Such practices are evidenced in many different types of marginalized communities. Therefore, while chosen family is not an exclusively queer experience, the phenomenon of caregiving outside the biolegal family framework has been shown to run parallel along multiple intersecting lines of social disenfranchisement. Right. Yeah. It's quite a mouthful there, but it was. But yes, absolutely. That that this can show up in various places, particularly for groups that are not legally recognized or protected or connections that are not legally protected or recognized. So some things to be aware of and, and keep in mind with this, either for yourself and also for understanding a little bit more about other people who might be going through this, is that like so many other non-traditional groups, Chosen families are not recognized from a legal standpoint, like biological families or people who are married. So what that means is that these chosen families can have a difficult time for, with things like gaining access to one another when they're in the hospital, being able to visit each other or make decisions for each other, tax breaks, benefit programs, end-of-life care, power of attorney. There's, this list goes on and on. We talked about this years and years ago when we did an episode about the future of marriage and yeah and recognizing right single people yeah right and essentially that there's this thing where there's literally thousands i forget the exact number but thousands of rights that you are given when you get married and that outside of marriage it's possible to get i don't know maybe a quarter of those or maybe up to a half but like there really literally legally is no other way to get those same rights you can get with marriage which is a pretty screwed up system but it's something to be aware of in these situations yeah that is slowly slowly changing and hopefully we'll see more positive change in that direction Uh, In Los Angeles, New York City, and Chicago, which are the three biggest cities in the U.S., they have all passed laws that will allow people to take sick days in order to care for anyone who they consider family, regardless of whether or not they're actually related. And Arizona State and Rhode Island have also passed similar laws, which seems like a pretty good sign. I mean, it's such a very specific sliver of... Uh, of what like special rights or special privilege to be granted of just being able to caretake, yeah. but it's not nothing for sure. It's a and step in the right direction, at least. It is. Yeah, it is. Dedeker, something I wanted to bring up is the fact that you did your will recently, mm-hmm. and I am on it, and so is Jace. Yes. Jace is your power of attorney, and that is, or wait, executor. Power of attorney. He's is that the same thing? I'm both of yeah, those things. They're, they're not they're the cool. same thing, but I'm they're both not of the those same. things. Okay, but, but you're related. Yeah, cool. Yes. Yeah, and it, that in essence is sort of an act of you know creating this intentional chosen family almost because you're you're making an intentional effort to put power in our hands rather than in the hands of someone that you're biologically related to. Yeah, I can launch into a whole soapbox. Maybe I'll do a tiny soapbox right now, but it's the I, smallest of soaps. Yes. Small the smallest of soaps. Just a little hand soap soapbox. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I will okay. say 
generally, I find it bullshit to have, you know, to need to make any kind of relationship legitimate through the eyes of the state, essentially, you know, like, I hate that. I really don't like that. I don't think that's the way humans function. However, I will use that as a tool if it's the best tool that I got for keeping myself protected, keeping my loved ones protected, so on and so forth. There, I'm stepping off my tiny little, tiny little hand soap soapbox. Uh-huh. Yeah, I actually started thinking about this years and years and years ago when I read Barbara Kingsolver's latest novel, which is, is fiction. Oh, love but her. yeah, her latest novel, Unsheltered, it's amazing. But the thing is, in that book, she kind of describes a scenario where this guy and his partner, they had a kid together. They didn't get married and ended up being really sad. She ended up dying. And, but because they weren't married, all of a sudden he was kind of screwed in the situation where it's like, well, he can't collect on life insurance. Hmm. Uh, He can't take advantage of her benefits package from work. Like now there's issues even with custody and stuff like that, that it just became like this big nightmare. Um, And just because they were, I don't know, just like a lot of modern couples where they're just like, we don't feel it's important to get married at this point, or we're not ready to get married, or maybe we don't even believe in in marriage legally, stuff like that. And so that was what first got me thinking, where I was like, oh, crap, unfortunately, there are a lot of these legal consequences because of the way that our culture is structured as far as recognizing these things. So anyway, fast forward to today, uh, you know, towards the end of 2020, I did finally decide to sit down and pull together my my trust and will. And uh, if any of y'all want to reach out to me to ask about that, I'm happy to answer questions because I trust me, it's a lot easier than you think that it is. Um, but a part of me was also realizing like, oh gosh, because I'm not married, that means that if I'm incapacitated, if I'm sick, if I can't make decisions, and I kind of did the math of who would be the person next of kin that would make decisions for me in that case. And I was like, "Mm, I don't think I want that person making decisions for me, (laughs) especially Mm, regarding my healthcare, uh, you know, my end of life care, my death, what to do with my body, like stuff like that. Um, And so I do invite all of you listening out there to think about that. If you're not married, like who's your next of kin? Would they, for instance, insist that your body be dressed in like the gender you were assigned at birth instead of Mm. what your actual gender is. And is that super upsetting to you? Would they bar multiple partners from coming to your funeral? I mean, I know this is all weird stuff to think about, but it really started to get to me. And so that was part of why I I finally sat down and formalized it. And that was such an interesting process of like, well, I guess these are the people who are like my closest little chosen family. You know, it's like Jason, Emily, and Alex are kind of like the main three. It's expanded beyond that a little bit, but... I don't know. It was a really interesting exercise for sure to kind of apply this like dry, boring legal and financial framework to formalize these chosen family ties. Anyway, please don't murder me because there's not a lot of money coming at you. <laughs> at least not yet. <laughs> at least not yet. You're saying we should wait uh, a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah. wait till I, I really strike it rich. Then okay. maybe I can, then we'll... can make some plots against my life or something. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Good. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah apparently, I, watching this stuff about the tutors has really kind of yes, influenced your really, way of thinking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I. I mean, there are like various ways for people to make legal ties, I guess, to other people, like creating LLCs, and you know, it, it, I mean, I think about like my mom when I was born. You know, my mom and dad certainly weren't married. He was married to someone else. So mm-hmm. I, it, it, she decided though to put his. Na- his last name as my middle name and i think in her mind like that legally tied me to him in name in some way so mm-hmm. i am emily sotelo matlack which is my mom and my dad's mm-hmm. last name and so i don't know i mean there's a lot of ways i think that people have done creative things in order to get themselves more legally tied and bound together but it is not necessarily a prerequisite for creating a chosen family for sure but it definitely is something to think about if that's if that's something that's important to you yeah and i think that's a good example of something that's not a a legal connection but does make things a little bit easier if you're ever trying to convince someone you're related to this person right like if you share a last name or if your driver's licenses share an address it's mm-hmm. easier for people to go oh, okay yeah sure i'll trust you that you're connected in the way you say you are so that's kind of not bureaucratic paper trail thing sorry yeah. gotta put the soapbox aside okay sorry. <laughs> it's true. No, yeah. it's she pulled it back, it back out in the she's drawer. like 
(laughs) (laughs) One second. (laughs) Right. But yeah, and that's, I guess what I I just want to mention that because it is worth noting that there's some things you can do like, you know, with power of attorney and things like that, that are actually legally enforceable. And then there's other things that just kind of lubricate your interactions with bureaucracy, like, like name changes and address changes and things like that. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, another thing to note, just to kind of be aware of here, is when we talked about the origins of this, it was sort of around your birth family, your biological family, either disowning you or not wanting to be involved with you or just not being supportive or making decisions that you wouldn't want them to make on your behalf. But that's not to say that that's always how chosen family works, that there's also the possibility where some people have a good relationship with their family and with their chosen family. There can be an intersection between the biological and non-biological groups of people, or they might be, they might have good relations with both, but they're entirely separate from each other. So anyway, there is just kind of a big range there. So I guess also just because someone has a chosen family and are even putting legal things in place for them doesn't necessarily mean that they're not also close with their family of origin uh, and and vice versa. And something to be aware of how prevalent I think this is across the United States at the very least. I, I don't live in a different country, but I'm sure that you can find similar statistics there. But the U.S. Census Bureau does not collect data on chosen family, but it does indicate that more than 13 million households contain individuals who do not share biological or legal ties. So many of those are potentially chosen families. And 13 million, I mean, out of 350, that doesn't seem like a lot, but... Well, that's 13 million households. That's that's true. Not that many people. So it's actually more people than that. But but I I think that's going to increase, though, because what we already know about our generation specifically is we're still the highest prevalence of people who are more than happy in some cases to like live with roommates, Mm -hmm. you know, or buy a house with friends or, you know, create again these like non traditional looking family structures and are more and I think that our genera- generation is going to be much more likely to do that into the future into retirement into aging. Yeah, so that 13 million is probably going to increase a lot. Yes, yeah. So another potential challenge to bear in mind is especially in relationship or sex focused communities or chosen families like BDSM communities, poly polycule stuff like that is that For some people, the lines can get blurred a little bit between platonic, romantic, sexual feelings. You know, it's, I've seen it go down a billion times in kind of extended networks of polycules that people will have periods of sexual tension or romantic entanglements for a time, and then maybe gradually go back into more platonic relationship. And some people handle that really smoothly and really beautifully. For other people, it can feel more fracturing or more awkward or cause more drama. You know, of course, there's con- bound to be confusing feelings or anxiety about change because of changes in the original dynamic. So that's just something to bear in mind. It feels like there's a little bit of this transitive property around polycules or polyamorous communities where. I don't know if this is necessarily a good or a bad thing, but kind of the sense of like, well, I could date this person who's kind of just three degrees separated from me. And so maybe I will try dating them and seeing how that feels. Um, You know, and I think in certain groups that can end up being a little incestuous and weird in other groups, it's great. So just something to bear in mind. Yeah, I think when we look at a lot of chosen families, especially like in, you know, a foster care system or certain dynamics, we're not talking about romantic entanglements but yeah in others we're talking about that potential being there so it is something to think about because i think you know when some people think of family they're like no way i'm not going to be in a romantic entanglement with them and then when some people think of family it's like this also includes my polycule and people that i have sex with and people that i care about in that way so this is definitely bringing to mind some of the stuff we discussed with Eli Chef about mm-hmm. that kind of multi-linking or many-to-many or one-to-many, or no, specifically it was the many-to-many kind of bonding where... Which we all were like, eh? And then, <laughs> yeah, but but clearly, I mean, that's, that's a thing to think about. And yeah. we know people in our Facebook community who are involved in more of like this grand 
family and group of people that live this, together and this it's grand budapest hotel yeah exactly. polyamorous people <laughs> yeah wes uh, anderson film you know cool. oh man oh so some other things for y'all to think about as you're moving in the direction of maybe being more intentional in creating chosen family um just like take your time <laughs> that's you like know? our number one caveat all the time all the time Don't, slow yeah. the frick down it's I just, I think it's just, I see so often that sometimes people have this dream, like they really do have this dream of we're going to build the commune, or I have a dream of living with both of my partners or something like that. And then when someone comes along very early on, like three months into the relationship and they're like, oh yeah, I'd be down to build the commune or I'd be down to like live in the house with you and your partner. And then they feel like, oh gosh, I have to strike at the opportunity. This must be the person. We got to move him in as soon as possible. And that's not to say that it's 100% going to end in failure, failure, but it's just like, just, it's okay. <laughs> Slow your roll. Slow down, you know? Like, you, if you, it, like, give yourself some time to, first of all, evaluate if this is actually what you want. As you age and as you go through life, your dreams may change. Spoiler alert. And what you feel like is your ideal living or ideal family situation may change. And it's okay, you know, if this is something that's, tr- I'm a big proponent of like, if this is something that's truly supposed to happen, it's like the opportunity will arise again. You know, you don't need to feel this need, like I need to do this knee jerk reaction right away. So it's all, take your time. It's great. Time is great. And along those lines, you can employ similar tactics to these relationships, even if they're platonic ones, that you would to a romantic partnership. And that means things like discussing boundaries, using the Triforce of Communication, maybe having check-ins like a radar, and being aware that NRE, new relationship energy, applies not just to romantic relationships. It can also apply to like, oh, this new person I've really clicked with. Still don't let that excitement blind you from things like looking out for red flags, either red flags about the relationship as a whole, or maybe just a red flag of, I love this person, they're awesome, but living with them or entangling finances with them might not be a good decision. And then we should do an NRE episode about uh, friends. Yeah. Friend, <laughs> friend RE. Friend mm-hmm. RE. Yeah, friend RE. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, as we love to say, don't sign anything, at least in the first year, and don't make dis- big decisions or commitments too early on. Got to stitch it on a pillow. Yeah. yeah sell I, that. I, I can love the idea of like a merch item. A cross stitch that says <laughs> yes. don't sign anything in the first year. <laughs> <laughs> It's a throw pillow. Love yeah. It. And of course, with any group of human beings that are interconnected, it can be easy to get sucked up into other people's drama, even if you don't feel like you're, even if you feel like there's three or four degrees of separation. Um, it can even be easier to do with chosen family members. So again, it's okay to cultivate boundaries about how you choose to deal with people's issues and drama that are a little bit more, uh, shall we say, removed from you. And I think that... It, the good news about chosen families is unlike with your biological family, you know, biological families, you're kind of born into an existing dynamic. And so it's harder to out of the blue one day to be like, Hey, actually let's sit down for a family radar with the whole extended family mm, and, like, mm, no. and iron some shit out. Like it's a lot harder to do that. <laughs> yeah. Potentially a little bit easier to do that when you have people who are also wanting to intentionally come to the table to work things out. So, for all of you people-pleasers out there, and this is definitely me, try not to sacrifice things like your wants and your needs and your feelings for the good of the group. So, if something is super uncomfortable to you, if you feel like, you know, the group dynamic is not working, your place in it isn't working, if something feels off, then speak up about it. Don't let it fester. Don't let it become something that, you know you can never deal with or that you choose to just like put down very down far in the ground and like (laughs) never talk about again or you know it just it evolves into like you freaking out about it and then leaving the community just just try to talk about it and try not to let your feelings like come at the end of other people's feelings or like be the thing that you don't worry about the most yeah and along those lines i always like to remind people that if the other people that you're in relationship with, whatever kind of relationship, if they actually care about you, they will want to know this earlier on rather than have you keep it. Like you're not doing them any favors or yourself any favors by keeping something like that to yourself. Mm-hmm. And then on that note too, 
if something isn't working or if it's true that they don't care about those things, it is okay to end that relationship in the same way that it's okay to end the relationship with a biological family member if they're being harmful to you. And that's not to say it's easy, but that is to say that it is okay and that your decision to do that is is perfectly valid. And I think because it's so hard, that like really, I think that really adds a lot of weight to that. And I just want to affirm anyone who's had to make that decision or who's thinking about it, like that is okay. And that is for the best that you've made that decision because it is really hard to do. And as Ulrich Beck said, there's always the ever-present potentiality of oh taking back decisions. And as Dedeker Winston says, that's a good thing. Mm. Okay, a little sort of a meta quote kind of yeah. between the two. I like it. Yeah, <laughs> take back the decision of like, you know what? This chosen family isn't working for me anymore. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> and that's okay. That's that's all good. Alrighty. Well, we hope that you learned something today. I know that I certainly did. I'm going to go watch Paris is Burning. I can't wait. And we are also going to talk about a couple other films that you can watch with your chosen family about chosen families, because there's a lot of good ones out there. And also a little bit about the impact of COVID on chosen families, because if you don't live with them, then it could have been a lot harder to see them this year. I know that I haven't seen Jason Dedeker in over a year, and that that sucks a lot. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. here we are. But we're going to talk a little bit about that. So the call to action question that is going to be on our Instagram story when this show comes out is, what is your definition of chosen family? I'm really interested to know, like, what that means to all y'all out there. And if you have a chosen family, if you would consider yourself to be a part of one, So the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at info at multiamory.com. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Dedeker Winston, and me, Emily Matlack. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanetta. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowork and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply